Good morning. It's good to be with all of you this morning. It's good to be back in town. I spent the last uh, several days in Austin, Texas, um, surrounded by cowboy hats and um, a bunch of journalists from all over the world. Actually, I was in the uh, Austin airport yesterday and was uh, speaking with some uh, French journalists who had come to the conference. Um, That was a fun conversation um, because their English was really hard to understand. And I was in Austin, and their English is also hard to understand. Um, any Texans that may be watching or hearing this back, I apologize. Um, but um, I got in late last night. Uh, I got home around 1. I had a late, late flight. Um, I was had my eyes closed back there during the services, and uh, or during worship this morning, just kind of taking it all in, trying to charge my battery up. Sarah asked if I was in power save mode, and I said yes. <laughs> because um, as I was explaining to some of my coworkers um, who said, they asked if I had to preach today, um, I said yes, I have to preach on Sunday. They said even after this late flight and this long conference, I said yep. I said, how do you do it? I said, I have no energy the rest of the day, but when I get up to speak, I have the energy. And so... Let's hope that that stays true. Uh, This morning we're going to be talking about uh, spiritual maturity. Um, As we've kind of gone through some of Paul's letters, of course Paul's letters are all encouragements to the congregations and the the churches and the cities that he's writing to um, in order that they may be built up in Christ, to be built up in knowledge, but ultimately be built up in spiritual maturity. Now the book of Colossians is very... Um, full of this focus on spiritual things, the things that connect us to God, um, of course, all in the spiritual sense. Of course, in in chapter 2, which we're going to focus on um, this morning, we see um, a lot of of talk of how um, the connection that we have to Christ in baptism exists, and the connection that, that Paul makes is one of spiritual, but he uses the physical to explain the spiritual, which of course is something that Jesus did throughout his ministry a lot. Um, now in Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29, which we just heard read, um, Paul's primary goal, and we see this, um, that in his labors, uh, it was to present everyone mature to Christ. That is, that they would be spiritually mature in Christ. This being the case, um, as we continue our lesson this morning and we look to chapter 2, Paul begins, uh, chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have. The for, at the beginning of that, means it's a continuation of the thought. Because of these things, I want you to know this. Okay, so that's why we had that as our scripture reading this morning, because it sets the tone, it sets our understanding as we get into Colossians 2, verses 1 through 8. If you would like to turn there, that's where we're going to be our our main focus this morning. And as we read through this, um, knowing what Paul's drive is, it should be no surprise to find that that Paul is now writing to the Colossians um, about several things. The first of which is his great concern that he has for them. Look at verses 1 through 3 here. He says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, 
to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is, uh, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And then he gets into why he is concerned for them. Look at the next uh, couple verses here. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. We talked last week as Paul wrote to the Philippians about environmental faith, right? And Paul kind of er, touches on this as well. He says, though I am absent, I am still with you in spirit, right? Now, um, in light of his concern here, he explains his concern. And in light of this, he now gets into some exhortations to encourage them. Look at verses 6 through 8 here. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So we've talked before about human traditions. We've talked before about how putting one's faith in uh, a religion that's made up by men and, and putting your faith in men who have created said religion can create a sense of no religion at all. It can create a sense of no faith at all. Adam and I were talking before services this morning about why there's so much trouble within the Catholic Church right now and all of these allegations and things that are happening is because when you have a faith that's built around believing a priest is speaking on behalf of God and then you find out that this priest has done something unheard of or unspeakable, what does that connect the person to God? If you connect the priest with evil, then that connects God to evil because that's how that faith is developed. That's how that faith is built. And so, you know, what Paul is saying here, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, right? Not according to Christ. So, from these eight verses, there are a couple things that we can glean concerning the subject of spiritual maturity in Christ. And I realize now that I had all of this on a slide and I didn't put them up there. Nobody prayed for ready recollection this morning, by the way. <laughs> all right, so uh, spiritual maturity in Christ. The first, um, from the first five verses, we're first going to look at um, some indications of spiritual maturity uh, according to what Paul's writing here. And the first of which is a deep concern, or as, as the ESV puts it, a great struggle for our brethren in Christ, he says in verse 1. Now remember, Paul is our example. As we go throughout the New Testament and we're looking at his writings, he is a gleaming, gleaming example of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a follower of Christ, and what it means to put others before yourself and have joy even in the, the toughest of times. Um, in, in 1 Colossians or Corinthians, verse 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 1, um, he says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Um, and so we see throughout his letters, of course, this really why he's writing his letters, that he has great concern for his brethren. 
Um, he expresses this concern elsewhere, especially to the Corinthians, several times throughout his letters. Um, but this concern is even for those, as he says here in Colossians 2, for those he has never even seen. Think about that. Do you have that kind of concern for brethren that you've never ever met? How about the, the brethren in the Carolinas right now that are struggling with the hurricane and the flooding? Have you concerned yourself with that? Have you thought about them in prayer? Have you reached out or, or looked to those churches down there to see what needs they may have? Um, that's something that I'm going to be doing this week and in, in trying to see if there's any way that we can assist, uh, either in efforts locally that are going down or efforts down there that are in need. But, uh, you know, we see this exemplified throughout Scripture and other people as well. In fact, in Colossians, Paul points to Epaphras. Colossians 4, verses 12 through 13 says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. See, Epaphras' focus was also on the spiritual maturity of those around him. Verse 13, For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Herapolis. So, we have two examples here in Colossians of people who are deeply concerned for the spiritual maturity of their brethren. And so do we have that same concern, whether it's those who we've never seen or those who maybe we're sitting next to this morning, those who we sing with each week or pray for, we see them in the bulletin. Do we have a heart, do we have a concern for their spiritual maturity, not just their physical well-being? Another indication of spiritual maturity that Paul talks about in verse 2 is an encouraged, or as the King James puts it, comforted heart. It is the will of God that we serve Him with hearts that are full of comfort and full of encouragement. We talked this morning about how prayer helps take away anxiety. And when you don't have anxiety, you feel a sense of comfort, right? Because getting rid of those anxieties and giving those things to God allows you to have the peace that surpasses all understanding. This was a concern of Jesus. John chapter 14, verse 1, he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. How do you do that? He says, Believe in God, believe also in me. Verse 27 of John 14, he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And again, you can go back to verse 1 and find out how you do that, and that is believe in God, believe in Jesus. Paul often prayed for something similar. 2 Thessalonians Chapter 2, verse 16 through 17 says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Notice the order that Paul puts those in. Establish them in every good work and word. Well, what do you have to have first before you can do that? He says, comfort your hearts first. A troubled and anxious heart is not the mark of a mature Christian. Consider the example of Paul. 
and facing impending death. We're looking at prison epistles right now. Colossians is one of those prison epistles that were written as he's sitting in jail awaiting trial, but yet here he is comforting others who are struggling in their faith. 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul discusses some of these things with Timothy. Of course, 2 Timothy is believed by many scholars to be the last letter that Paul wrote before his death. Um, he He mentioned several times that his end was coming soon. Um, And in uh, chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, he says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to those who have loved his appearing." And then if you jump down a couple verses there in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verses 17 through 18, he says, But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles may hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You see the comfort that Paul has He's facing death in the mouth. Right? He says, I've been rescued before from the lion's mouth, and the Lord will still rescue me because He's going to deliver me up to heaven. That's our hope. And because we have that hope, we can be comforted. We can have a comforted, encouraged heart. But the heart is also an important part of our next point, which Paul talks about also in verse 2. He says that it is a heart knit together in love with other Christians. So not only is our heart comforted, not only is our heart encouraged, but it's supposed to be knit together with other Christians. And I can't help but think about Jonathan and David and the love that they shared for one another. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1 says, As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Jonathan and and David were not blood brothers. And neither are we. We are not brethren, well some of us are, by relation, through physical blood. But all of us who are Christians are brother and sister by the blood of Christ. In that we are blood relatives. We are knit together just as David and Jonathan were, because our souls are united in Christ. The brethren in um, Colossae, those who are being written to here by Paul, you know, they, they are well on their way to achieving this, um, this aspect of spiritual maturity. Look at verse 4 of chapter 1. Paul says, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. right? They're, they're putting that to work. They're already showing that. But how about us? Are we doing that? Are we experiencing that in our life? Are we, are we showing that in our life? Are we developing hearts that are knit together? If not, how can we do that? Well, just as we looked at earlier, love and good works starts with having a comforted heart. But also, if we look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25, it talks about not neglecting the assembly. 
And in so doing, by not neglecting the assembly, by assembling together, we stir up one another to what? Love and good works. Because we stir up, we encourage and comfort the hearts of our brethren around us. That's how we can develop hearts that are knit together in love, by loving one another enough to stir up one another to do those good things for God. We could also develop this by striving to do as Paul instructed the Philippians. And as we discussed last week, striving side by side, together, unified for the faith of the gospel. We talked about Philippians 2, verse 27. By expanding the kingdom together. And of course, doing that side by side, we build up a heart that is knit together in love. Paul next uh, in verse 2 talks about a full assurance of understanding. And I think this is very similar to having hearts that are encouraged, but we need to have a strong assurance concerning ourselves and our salvation. And I would dare say that this is probably something that many people struggle with, is the confidence concerning their salvation. Now, this assurance comes as we increase our understanding concerning the basis of our salvation. And of course, we get that through study of God's Word. Faith comes through hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Indeed, the Word of God was written so that we could increase that understanding and provide the assurance of our own salvation. John said in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. That was John's purpose of writing, so that we may know that we have eternal life. And as one matures in Christ, this assurance of our salvation increases. As we become more knowledgeable of the Word, and we study the Word, and we write the Word on our hearts, it is indeed one of the riches that we have in Christ. The next thing that Paul talks about is a knowledge of the mystery of God. And I think this is speaking to uh, something that he wrote also to the Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, he talks about an understanding of the gospel, which was once hidden, but has now been revealed. Paul writes in Ephesians 3, verses 4 through 6, he says, "...when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ." which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. We talked about this a few weeks ago in our study of Ephesians, of how the Gentiles became fellow heirs. So a good knowledge of the gospel of Christ is essential to maturity in Christ. We have to know the one who saved us, right? We need to understand his purpose. We need to understand why he was here, where he came from, and the fact that God has always been saying he would come. Are we increasing in this knowledge? How can we do that? Well, of course, as we mentioned, devote yourself to studying God's word, both privately and and with your brethren. If you want to learn more about the Word, find someone to study with. If you can't do it by yourself, get help. 
Google isn't always the best option for that. Just saying. Google can teach you all you want to know about other things, but it brings up some crazy stuff sometimes when you search Scripture. Um, the, last, uh, the last point here in verse 5, he talks about good order and steadfastness or firmness of faith. The word order that he uses there, the Greek word, uh, it, it derives from the word toxis, which is a military term. Uh, that suggests men marching in proper order and precision, as in a drilling exercise. You know all about this now, Nick. Um, It's also translated elsewhere as discipline. And really, when it comes down to it, that's the purpose of drilling. That's the purpose of a drill sergeant. It's because it's developing a sense of discipline. A, a, a sense of obedience and following orders. Because if you don't follow orders, you will be disciplined, right? Scrub the latrine with your toothbrush. You didn't ever have to do that, did you? That's good. That's good. You probably know someone who did, though. So the, I, I, I share that side of the Greek so that we can understand that this suggests that a mature Christian is one whose walk as a disciple, is in proper line with what is expected, with what is commanded. So what is our, uh, our life of faith like? Are we progressing in order, steadfast in our progress, or are we wavering constantly? Or even worse, rather than just sometimes drifting out of line and then coming back in line, are we just deciding... You know, we're going to march to the beat of our own drum. Here's the line marching over here. Nah, we're going to go over here. We're going to march the way we want to march. So these are a few indications of spiritual maturity. If they're found in our lives, it's a good sign that progress is being made. Now, from the the latter verses of our focus this morning, from verses 6 through 8, we can also learn um, some important steps to spiritual maturity. And the first one, which I think is obviously the most important, is receiving Christ as Lord. That's the most important. Paul talks about that in verse 6. He says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. So step one, to be able to walk in Him, you have to receive Him as Lord. This is something that many of the Colossians had already done, of course. And today, many seem to want Jesus just as a Savior but not as Lord. Let me say that again. Many people today want to have Jesus as their Savior, but not as Lord. What does that mean? That means that they profess Him as their personal Savior, but they don't listen to Him and they don't obey what He commands. That's the role of a Lord. He tells us what we need to do, and we have to obey it. If we receive Him as Lord, we have to obey it. If we do not obey Him, then we do not receive Him as Lord, nor do we treat Him as Lord. But that doesn't mean that God has not made Him both, because He has. And in fact, that's what uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 36 talks about. Peter proclaiming this on the day of Pentecost. Says, he said that the Lord has made Him both Savior, God has made him both Savior and 
Lord, placing him at the right hand. And then after he said this, after he said this, the crowd then asks the the famous question, what then should we do, brother? And the response, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We have to accept him as Lord and Savior. You can't have one without the other. Until we place Christ on the throne as Lord in our lives, we cannot hope to become perfect. We cannot hope to be complete. We cannot hope to become mature in Christ. And as with many other things, Paul provides a good example of this and something that we studied several weeks ago in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's how Paul lived his life, and that's how we should live our lives as we walk in Christ, which is another step for spiritual maturity. Having received Christ as Lord, we must now walk or live in Him. And verse 7 explains what it means to walk in Christ. Look at the words that Paul uses. Let's read it again, verse 7. Rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Rooted. Christ is the foundation. It is what we are bolted to. It is what our roots cling to. He is the source of nutrition. We are built up in Him. If we have our roots in Christ, just like the roots in good soil, then the plant is going to grow. And so we are built upon Him, allowing ourselves to become the kind of building that He would have us to be. Being established in the faith, well taught, well grounded in the teachings of Christ and living by them. Not the traditions of men, but the teachings of Christ and His apostles. And abounding in it all with thanksgiving, ever overflowing with an attitude of gratitude. I love that phrase, an attitude of gratitude. That's a good t-shirt. The last step for spiritual maturity. Receive Christ as Lord. Walk in Christ. And beware, he says in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. To grow spiritually, we must beware of dangers which would hinder our spiritual growth. Otherwise, in our haste to grow, we may easily be misled by false doctrines which promise an an easy route to spiritual maturity. But they don't deliver on that promise. Instead, they create spiritually immature people. Which is why there is sometimes the need for negative preaching, as some people call it. The hard-hitting stuff. But those, those types of sermons are typically given with the intention to encourage and build up so that we can avoid spiritual immaturity. Because sometimes when people are immature, they need a good smack upside the head to realize the direction that they need to be going. When someone gets out of line, when they're in drill in the military, what happens? The drill sergeant gets in their face and gets them back in line. I'm not a drill sergeant, just saying. So I want to close this morning by asking two questions that I want us to consider as we 
leave together this morning and as we go about our week and think about the lessons that we learn and hopefully continue in our own personal study. Uh, the first is, why should we grow, or why should we even be concerned with growing in spiritual maturity in Christ? Well, as Paul said in Colossians 2 verse 3, because in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If we want to grow in knowledge, if we want to understand who it is that we believe in, the name that we profess, the name that we wear as Christians, then we need to grow in wisdom and knowledge. And that can only be found in Christ. The second reason, I think, is because he is warned of what will occur if we do not mature and bear fruit. John chapter 15 Verses 1 through 2. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. He told us, he tells us what will happen if we don't grow in spiritual maturity, we get lopped off. And that was what was done to the house of Israel. For those who did not believe in Jesus as, their, as Lord and Savior, they were cut off so that more room could be made for who? The Gentiles. The second question is an important one. How does one initially receive Christ as Lord? By doing what He says. First and foremost. Easy answer, right? It's kind of what we've been talking about. As Keeping Jesus as Lord means doing what He says. In fact, in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, He says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, He says, everyone who calls me, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but who does? The one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Doing the will of the Father. Doing what we're told. And of course, if we're doing what we're told, if we're doing what we're commanded, then that includes the command to repent and be baptized. To repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. For in doing so, one receives the remission of sins. They put on Christ and they receive Christ and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because that's what's talked about in Acts 2, verse 36 through 38, which is what I mentioned earlier. I'm going to read that again. This is Peter talking. He says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. He just convicted their hearts. Many of the people that were standing there in the day of the Pentecost were the same ones who stood in the courts and said, Crucify him! And now he's saying, you just crucified the man who God has made both Christ and Lord. Christ, of course, meaning Messiah. Verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you know what they did? They did it. 
some 3,000 souls were added to the church that day because they received Jesus as both Lord and Christ and they obeyed Him. Do you need to do that this morning? Do you need to obey Christ and put Him on in baptism? Do you need the prayers of the church or assistance from the church? Perhaps you are struggling with spiritual maturity. Maybe there's something in your life that's keeping you from from truly focusing your life on Christ. If you need to repent, if you need to be restored, or if the church can assist you in any way, we're about to stand and sing a song, and you can come forward as we stand and sing and make those requests known.